Okay, good morning. Now we're going to be reading one of his uh, more famous part of his book that basically goes into live examples of the Yetzirah and how he can come to a person with different claims. You know, it's very important in general that when a person learns something, to bring it down to life concepts as clear as they might be, ideas as much as somebody understands them, unless they bring a live example, a life example, there's usually a disconnect between information and reality. And a person, when they live the reality, they will not remember the information that's supposed to connect to the reality. I don't know if I'm making sense. It even works in halakha. For example, you could learn a halakha in Shohan Aruch. You could learn all the details and know it inside out. But when you get to the actual situation, it's very, very possible that you will not connect the information to your situation. It's not that you forgot, but somehow the information is in the realm of knowledge and your reality hasn't really been connected to that knowledge. So when you learn something, even in halakha, what is recommended is that a person imagines how that halakha is going to play a role in his life. He has to imagine the situation that he will be in where that knowledge is going to be affected. If you don't draw that picture and you don't imagine that situation, that's what I call live or life situation, then very, very common that the information you learn, again, as clear and as convinced as you might be, somehow will be neglected or forgotten at the time when you need it most. So here the Havot Havot, just that alone is good Musa, right there. Before we even read what he says, after he goes in explaining the Yetzirah and what his strategies are and where's his weakness and all that we've been learning and we haven't learned everything, by the way. I'm trying to skip things and we're learning it in a very short way. But after all of that, he says, okay, let me give you some examples. Dugmaot. Let me give you an example. Because he knows if you don't have an example, that you're going to say, oh yeah, that happens to me. If he doesn't give you an example, it's probable that you're wasting your time learning this most important information. So this is a good tool when you're learning and it's a good tool when you're teaching.
as much as possible to give examples, not stories. You don't have to tell stories, but you have to give examples when you're telling your son, you're telling your daughter something. You gave them something that they need to know about what they should or should not do. You have to connect it to something that happens to them. If you don't draw that bridge, so you're leaving them with convincing information, but a disconnect from their life. And when it comes to reality, chances are they will not live by the information. It's very important. Information, again, for ourselves and for others. Don't just talk intellect. Figure out a way to bring it, give examples as you speak, like this, like that, like in that situation, like in that place, like in that thing. If you don't give constant examples, there is going to be a disconnect. Very important to know that. Good. So taking that important piece of knowledge, and now says the Hawad al let me give you real application of real examples of how the Yetzirah operates within the person. Now, we're not going to do all of them. He gives a lot of examples, and he gives it in a very systematic way, which means he starts from the lowest level, and then he graduates. That, oh, if you beat that one, he has other things for you. And if you beat that one, he's still coming to get you. So he gives you in steps the different ways to approach your destruction. That's basically what he's doing. We're not going to go through all of them just because we don't have the time. But it's, it's advisable that one should open up the Havodah Levavot in Shar Yehuda Maaseh Perek Hamishi, the fifth Perek, open it up and read. Just read all the different strategies of the Yetzirah. Let's go with the first one. He says, He says, the first seduction of the Yetzirah. What does he mean by first? It doesn't mean first in order. I think he means first means this is, this would be his prize. Meaning if he got you here, then it's over. He doesn't have to work too hard after that. So the Rishon means if he's able to pull the rug from under you and have you fall, there's nothing, there's no one to fight with. That's what he means, Rishon. Not always is this the Rishon. It depends on the person. He says, What's his first plan or strategy? His goal? He wants to cause you to put doubt he wants you to have doubt or will cause you to have doubt in your 
soul and its eternal status. Vekiyum hayim ruhaniim, which means you will put doubt in your mind about something beyond your physical body, the spiritual part of the person. Which means this denial or this doubt will obviously affect you in this world. He's going to convince you that there's nothing more than your body. There's nothing here that is, they call that, he'll tell you, they call that neshama. What neshama? You ever see a neshama in your life? What are you talking about? Soul. Something beyond what I can see. Come on. Now, obviously, that disturbs your life here, not knowing you have a neshama. And, of course, it means that after death, there's nothing. Because if the only thing you have is your body, well, we know where the body goes after death. There's no doubt about where the body is. You can go and see. Take a shovel and you'll see where the body is. So, obviously, this has a two-prime damage. Number one, you don't see in your life, day-to-day, another part of you. And, of course, you don't see how this part of you that you don't even know is there, or you put that in his mind, has an expiration with your body. You don't, you don't see anything further than the body in this world. And at death, it's over. Now, it says over here, he puts safek. I've told you this a number of times. He doesn't have to convince you that you don't have a neshama. He doesn't need to go that far. First of all, he can't convince you. But he doesn't need to convince you otherwise. He just has to put a doubt. How much is called a doubt? How much is a doubt? Even if it's 1%, it's a doubt. He can put a small doubt in your mind, which means... Really, 99%, you're you're convinced, you know, there's another part of you. It's something that everybody feels. Everybody knows there are parts in them that are invisible. It's obvious. When you love somebody, that's invisible. What you do out of the love is not invisible, but the love itself, the feeling of love, that everybody knows what that feels like. You see your son, you see your daughter, you see your grandson, you see your granddaughter. You love them. Where, where is that? Where is that on your body? Obviously, there are parts of us that are invisible. That's not a question. When, when you hate someone, that's invisible. When you feel jealous, it's invisible. Wisdom itself is invisible. When you know or don't know, it's invisible. Again, you may be able to see the actions that emanate from those feelings, Right? But clearly, clearly there is a part of us that's invisible. You don't have to be a genius. You do have to think a little. Remember what we learned. If you don't think, if you live in shallow, so then you don't think. And if you don't think, 
He could sell you anything. You don't have to be so holy and so wise to realize that in this world, there is something in us that is not physical. Our feelings, our emotions, our wisdom, not physical, invisible. That is obvious. All he needs to do is put a safek. Safek means he puts it down in your mind. That's it. Tell you know things like uh, again. He doesn't talk to you per se. Look at the words. He says ligrom lecha. Ligrom lecha means he will find a cause that you should have a safek. So maybe. He will make you part of a conversation that people are talking. Now, people who don't know anything. But somehow, when you hear people talk, they always sound smart. And they always sound like they know what they're talking about. Especially if they're famous, or they, they're wealthy, or they're powerful. When you hear them talk, they sound convincing. You assume they understand what they're talking about. It could be an older person that he lets you hear his words. You assume older people know what they're talking about. There's such an assumption. So he will be causing you, Gorem, he will cause you to be in a place to hear, to see someone who is commenting on this, either with their words or with their actions, and this will put us doubt in your understanding that clearly there is a invisible side to us, and like we mentioned before, not only is it there, it is the most important part of our existence, like we mentioned many times, the most important part of a relationship is the part that nobody could see, it's the feelings that we have, the most important part of a person is who they are, which that means when they say, it's who you are that's important. What are you saying? It's who you are. What does that mean? It means it's the part that nobody sees. That's what it means. It means what you do on the outside, your movements and your gestures, not really what, what counts. What counts is who you are. It means it's the invisible part of you that is the most important. That is when we speak about character, midot, what, what are midot? People talk about character all the time. The same guy who denies the soul is talking about character. Character refinement, you got to be good, you got to be a good person. What, what's good? What, what, where is the character on your body? Yeah, I know you can act because of your character. But character means you have an invisible side to you. There's a part that is not physical. So... A person, obviously, with a little thought can get through this. But his job is to put a safek in your spiritual existence. Obviously, if he can do that, he says, Hu He tries. He will try to bring you proofs. Again, not necessarily through talking to you, but in different ways. That the soul cannot exist without the body. 
And that it will die when the goof dies. Exactly. Just like animals die and they bury them. They also bury this person. He will take you to a funeral and you will see people crying and saying all kinds of words. When people are in a painful situation, they could say some very not appropriate things and he will make you privy to that. He will hear your father say something. He'll hear your grandfather say something. He'll hear your uncle say something. You'll hear these comments that people make during not such good times which will make it sound like the end all is this world. Now, what's his goal here? What does he gain? What does he gain if he puts a doubt in your mind that you only have a body and no ruhaniyut? He says, Magamato. He says, which means he wants to make sure you see this life as the end all. And what does that do? Where basically his goal is, his goal isn't so much to put doubt about Olam His goal is that once he knows that you have a doubt about your other partner, your, your Ruhaniyut, now, your priorities in life will be completely, not, not, not living a physical life. Tishka, you know what tishka means? Tishka means you will be drowning in the physical world. That's all you're going to think about. All day and all night, it's about physical things. It's about money, it's about homes, it's about how much more you can enjoy, how many more vacations you could take. It depends each person on their level. It's all about Gashmiyut. He occupies, why else would you think about anything else if that's who you are? If all you are is a body, so just think about your body. Gashmiyut, te'avot, te'alet All you'll do in your life is run. From one hana'a, one pleasure, to another pleasure. And this is what the Pasuk says in Yeshaya. This is not a new Yetzirah. Uh, when a person goes to a funeral, Lo Alenu, Shilomo Amelech says that it's very, very good to go to a funeral in the right time. He says, Tov, it's good. Better. La to go. To Bet Evel. Better to go to a funeral than to go to a wedding. Now that's a very big statement because both of them, both of them are mitzvot. Both of them you're accomplishing something. Says Shlomo Amelech, choose the funeral over the wedding. Usually, when we tell someone to choose one mitzvah over the other, usually it's because one mitzvah is bigger than the other. That's usually how we measure. 
Now, how do we measure what's bigger? So we have to learn and see how the Torah gives over the halakha, and we can decide. So is Shalom HaMelech saying that it's a bigger mitzvah to go to a funeral than to go to a wedding? Seems that way. That's what he says. But if you look in the pasuk, you'll realize it's not like that. He says, because when you go to a funeral, he says, He says, because I want you to learn something. Which means it could be the wedding is greater as far as the mitzvah is concerned. To be They're starting a new life together. They're building a future together. Your presence is going to be an important part of that. The guy died. It's finished. It's over. It's a very sad situation. But he passed away. Stop building. Yeah, people that need you to come dance with them. To give them hizuk. So Shlomo Amelach is saying, listen, that might be a bigger mitzvah. To go to a wedding could be a bigger mitzvah. It's about the future. It's about building. But says Shlomo Amelach, I still want you to go to the funeral. Even though you might be giving up on a bigger mitzvah, which we don't normally let you do. But here, says Shlomo Amelach, you should go to the funeral if you only have one choice. Why? Because I want you, I want you to gain something. You, there, there is a shi'or that's being given over there that I don't want you to miss. So be selfish on this one. Even though you might be doing more for others if you go to the wedding, but here, be selfish. Here, you got to take care of yourself. Your life comes first. And there is a very important, there's a very important shi'ur, a very important lesson that is taking place by the funeral. I want you to go. That's what he tells, that's what Shlomo Mel says. And in reality, when we think about that halakha that Shlomo Melech gave us, one might be actually surprised or may find it difficult to actually locate what exactly did I learn after I came back from the funeral. Here he told me, give up on the wedding, give up on the mitzvah, on the bigger mitzvah maybe, to go to the funeral because I need you to take the lesson home. Guy comes home, says, what did you learn at the funeral? Did you know that people died? Uh, yeah, you knew that. Okay, so I knew that. Did you know this guy died? Yeah, I knew that already before. I went to the funeral, so I knew he died. So what exactly did you learn at the funeral that was so vital, so essential, that you couldn't miss and you had to give up a great mitzvah to go to the shiur? Usually you go to a shiur and you can't miss. You walk out with some wealth. What are you walking out with? You didn't learn anything. So the answer is, the answer is a very important answer. And it goes back to something I mentioned at the beginning of this class. The answer is that there's a very big difference between someone who knows about death. Nobody in the world intellectually thinks that they're going to live forever. Everybody knows. How do they know? Because it's been proven billions of times and not one person has evaded such a thing. So therefore, everybody knows you come into this world, 
at some point there's going to be an expiration. Maybe you'll hit 120. That's what we bless people. But probably it won't be 120. Probably maybe you hit 100 is, is a tremendous. 90s also great. That, that's how it is. It's reality that nobody disagrees with this reality. Nobody. Nobody's going to say, no, it's not true. Maybe it's not. Maybe we do live forever. Nobody, not any human on the planet thinks that. But like we said earlier, knowing something intellectually really doesn't do anything for you. Meaning, in your real life, do you live life with such awareness that life isn't forever? Well, let me look at your life. Let me see if from your actions I could tell if you knew about death or not. Here's a guy, he's 80 years old, and he is so angry. He's yelling and screaming at one of his family members because they took a few extra dollars from the Yerusha. They took a few extra dollars from the, uh, from the inheritance. Say, so, hey, you're 80 years old. You know, you're not living forever. You know that, right? Like, soon, you're not going to be here. What are you wasting your energy and your emotions and you're making yourself miserable for something that you probably don't even need because you're not living forever. You have enough money for the next 25 years. You're good. The extra $10 that you're fighting for is not going to make a difference. What are you fighting for? What are you making yourself miserable? You're ruining your life. If you looked at that person, you would say, that guy thinks he's living forever. He still has all kinds of plans and he's still working on all types of things. And all. From people's actions, you do not see that they're aware of death. If they would be aware of death, they would start planning for what happens after death. If life isn't forever, so what happens afterwards? Oh, wow, there's an invisible part of me. Where does that go? What happens? Is Did the creator really make a world where a person expires? That's his entire ability, his kindness, is to give us a few years and then say goodbye. That, that's what it's all about. You mean the ending of a cat and a dog is the same as a human being? You're telling me the ending of Hitler and Mahshemur and the great Hafez Haim is the same? That's the way the creator runs his world? You could live this world like you're the biggest criminal. You could murder millions of people. You could be as terrible as terrible can be. And then the guy next to you, buried next door, he was the biggest, most righteous, the most beautiful, most sweet. And their ending is the same. That's what you're accusing the creator of the world? To have such little justice in the world that he created? A, he created a world that expires. Why would he do that? If he can give me life, why can he give me life forever? Why would he give me something that expires? Would you give your children something that expires? If they could have it forever, would you give them a house that in a few years will come down? Or would you rather give them a house that could stay for the rest of their life? 
Why would you give someone that you care for something good that expires? For what reason? The only reason you would do it is maybe you have no control because you don't have any power. The creator of the world that made you from nothing, from zero, not only made you, he made billions like you. And every day in this world, there are millions of people born. Every day, new life. He's certainly capable of making something from nothing. You don't think he can give you a life that's forever? You think he has no power to give you something that doesn't end? So why is he giving you a life? Why is he giving you something from nothing? And then it's over for what reason? So think about it. Think about what happens after this world. There is something about me that's going to stay after this world. It is the real me. It's the part of me that can get buried. Because it's the part of me that I can't even see when I'm alive. It's not physical. Physical things stay in this world of physical. Things in me that I know are not physical. I know there's a part of me that nobody could see, neither I or anybody else. That part has no place in a physical world. Things that don't have physical don't expire. Only physical things expire. Things that are invisible don't end. They don't have a place to put them. They're beyond physical. They're beyond space. They're beyond time. So what happens to me after I leave this world? Where is me going? Yes, you know who me is? The me that we say, his character, that's me. The me that says, oh, he's so wise, that's me. The me, where is that going? What happens after they bury somebody? Where does he go? What's going to happen afterwards? Is there a purpose here in this world? Are we just going through the motions? And no matter what you do, you end the same way? Really? You wouldn't accuse a human, a human. You wouldn't accuse him of such low justice or injustice. How can it be? With all of the wisdom of the creator that we see every day and all this kindness. So what happens when you know that there is you that's going to exist post-physical burial. What happens? So if you really, really had an awareness of this, you would start planning. You would start planning just like when you go on a trip. You plan the trip. How many times in your life did you see yourself planning for things that you were about to do? Oh, where are we going at this time? You ever see a bar mitzvah trip uh, uh, itinerary? Yeah, they tell you when to sleep, when to wake up. We're going to be here at this time. You have the third seat on the bus. You have the sixth seat. Take water with you on this one. Take juice on this one. You have your whole life ahead of you for the next 10 days. They give you every play by play. You can't even enjoy it because you feel like you're already 
You're already there. You just have to show up to live the part that already happened. It's like, a, it's already happened on paper. It's hard to enjoy it. That's why people like surprises. Why you like surprises? Because it's something you never really experienced. All of a sudden, something happens, you enjoy it. But when you see the itinerary so clear, you feel like you already lived it. For three months, you're watching it. Now you just have to go in the car. Okay, I read it. What's going on? Why are they planning so much? It's an important 10 days. You make plans. You don't just show up. Why did Hashem make it like that? That's not an accident. Why did Hashem make it? Remember, nothing in this world just happened. Everything was articulated and planned by the creator of the world. Hashem made it clear to every person that if you have something important coming up, then you make plans ahead of time. That is a reality in this world. You have your daughter's wedding, you make plans. You don't wait to show up that night and say, well, uh, you know, uh, put on the music. You don't do that. You don't order food that night from, the, from, the, from Uber Eats to come to the wedding. Tell every guest, listen, whatever you want, it's all on me. Here, just, just dial in. The guy will be right over. You don't do that. I mean, usually when you want to eat, you just get food wherever it's available to you. But for your daughter's wedding, no, no, it's got to be all ready. Everything has to be ready. From the food, to the flowers, to the music, the play-by-play, -play, what time was starting the ketubah. Everybody gets different invitations, you know that, right? One guy gets the I love you invitation. He gets pictures. He comes the pictures, two o'clock pictures. Please be there. Then they have minha. Then they have ketubah. Then they have drinks. They weren't sure what to do. One made it to the A list. One made it to the B list. What's going on? All these invitations, all the plans. Who's coming at this time? Who's doing? Why? Why did Hashem make the world like that? Because it's a mashal. Hashem already put in our life the value of preparation for things that are important. It's automatic to us. When something important is about to happen, you plan for it. You don't just go. Things that are not so important, there's less reason to plan. And by the way, even there we plan. Vacation is not so important. That's not that important. But yet, guys, two weeks planning his vacation. By the time he gets there, he doesn't even like it. But the two weeks were worth it. We're going to go here. We're going to go here. We're going to stay here. We're going to do that. I give you my clear opinion that most people... Do not enjoy vacation. But they enjoy preparing for it. The opposite. Because they prepare so much, they can't enjoy it anymore. Because they already went through it a hundred times in their mind. By the time you get on the banana boat, it doesn't feel like it's uh, valuable. But you have to go because otherwise, how are you going to share the pictures? What are you going to say? What did you do? I, I, I didn't do anything. 
See? So you got to tell people what you did, so you have to do. You understand? So you have to do because you planned it, and you have to do because you have to tell people what you did. But in reality, you, you, you really have nothing to do there. You know this. Come on. This is, you guys are laughing. This is reality. So the next time you find yourself planning a seven-day trip with all the details, stop for a second and realize that Hashem gave you this, this desire to plan for one purpose. This desire to plan has one purpose. It's to plan for your eternity. It's the plan for the day after. That is why we have the urge to constantly be planning our vacation, our business, our future, our marriage, our home, our children's home. We're planning to make sure, should we buy them a house next to us? Where can we find a lot that we can build them a home? We're planning for their children. We're planning for their business. We're planning their education. We're planning, we plan everything. We're always planning for things that are important. And we should. I'm not saying we shouldn't, God forbid. But it doesn't matter where I say you should or you shouldn't. Every normal person does it regardless. It's natural. It's, with, it's obvious. It's obvious that you should plan for your meeting. It's obvious. You're having an important meeting. You got to plan. You don't have to be a genius. It's automatic. Planning for important things is automatic. Why did Hashem make the world operate this way? He created the world. Remember, there was nothing in this world. So whatever is here, He made it that way. He made it that things come with preparation. For what reason did He do that? Because our life is all about preparation. Our life is all about something that is so much bigger than the few years that we're on this planet. Yes, there is an eternity. Eternity is so long. You know how long eternity is? I told you once, the great stipler said, just to give him my shot, because again, here's that word eternity. Oh, eternity, yeah, forever. But until you get some, what does that mean forever? So he gave, he says, I'll give you my shot. He says, imagine you have a very big stadium. Big, huge stadium. Seats 100,000 people. And every thousand years, you have a little bird that goes to the beach, picks up one piece of sand, and puts it down on the floor of the stadium. How many years will it take to fill up the stadium with sand? Well, eternity is more than that. Eternity is a long time. And our job in this world is to prepare for eternity. When a person is not preparing for eternity, it shows that they're not aware in their real life about eternity. So says Shalomu Amelech, when you go to a funeral, I know you know about that. You know about it intellectually. You know about it. Of course you know that you're not living forever. But when you go and you see a real, live situation of a person 
you were just with yesterday, a guy you grew up with, someone that you're very close to. Just yesterday he was eating and drinking and he was living life normally. And now you look at the box, guys in the box, what, what happened? He's gone. Oh my gosh. Really? Life's not forever. You know that? Life's not forever. Now you knew that always. But you needed to see it. You walked out. Now with new information, you walked out with live information. The difference between information and live is all the difference. You walk out. What a shiur that was. Oh my gosh. What a shiur. Life's not forever. Stop getting upset with dumb things. Life's not forever. What are you getting so occupied with things that don't matter? It's not forever. By the way, it makes your life so much happier. People who think life's forever, everything is going to be important to them. Every nail in their house is going to make them happy or not. Every little detail and everything that goes on is going to make them upset, anxious, anxiety. When you realize this world is only a preparation and there's an expiration, there are many things in life that don't bother you. And it makes you a much happier person, by the way, in this world. Besides, it gives you the ability to plan your life. Which, by the way, how do you plan for a world of pleasure? How do you, how do you plan for a world of pleasure? You know, you live a world of pleasure here. You live a world of pleasure here. How does a guy before a baseball game practice for the game? He comes in, what does he do? He listens, he listens to music. He plays the piano. What, what does he do? If a guy is ready for the World Series and he shows up three hours before, what is he doing? He simulates the game. He starts doing all the things that he would do in the game and start to practice so that when it comes to the game, he's all there. This world is a simulation for Olam What is the right practice to turn it into a place of Gan Eden, of pleasure? That's what we're here for. When you plan for the next world, you live a calmer life, you live a more enjoyable life, and you live a life that is worthwhile every step of the way. And of course, you have eternity waiting for you. There's no worry of death. The only thing you worry about is that you haven't done enough while you're alive. You don't actually worry about death. You worry of, I didn't take full full advantage of the opportunity. It's something else. It's not a person who's all anxious about what's going to happen. Nothing, nothing's going to happen. It's what you make happen. Says Shilomo Ameleth, go to the funeral. Don't miss the shi'ur. Don't miss it. There's something very beautiful there for you. It can make you realize, hey, even though I know about death, but I'm not, not living it that way. So it'll push you to be more aware and start planning. Start doing more in your life. Start learning more. Start helping more people. Start being calmer. Live like you know there's death. Don't just leave it in your brain. Live with it. It's not depressing. The opposite. It's very, very up uplifting when you know that your life is going to expire and you're planning for that. Now, is that going to happen when you go to a funeral? That's what Shlomo Mel says is going to happen. You're going to go there and you're going to walk out Newly charged for Olam Abba. You open up Sefer Yeshaya. He says, what happens when people see 
someone die when they go to a funeral, says the Navi Yeshayahu, Achol Veshato, he says, guys, let's go party. After the funeral, hey guys, we need to go out tonight. Let's go party. We got to eat. We got to drink. You know, guys, there's, there's really death in the world. It's not a joke. We're not here forever. Let's live it up. We got to go on more vacations. We got to eat more. We got to drink more. There's more to enjoy every minute. Could be your last minute. Take advantage. Wait, wait, wait. Was this the same shiur? The same shiur. One guy walked out thinking about his future. One guy walked out becoming a bigger behemoth than he walked in. <laughs> How is that possible? He came in, he saw dead ah, says we got to take full advantage. We're not enjoying this world enough. He's, it's all, the Yetzirah has one fight that he would love to get each person to put a doubt about their eternity. If, he, if you're in that mindset, if you're in the doubting your spirituality mindset, if you are doubting the invisible part of you mindset, then going to a funeral actually does the opposite. It makes you feel more frustrated because you're not doing enough in this world and you need to go do more. This is one, this is the prize of the Yetzirah. To have you live in a world. Now again, I'm telling you again, this is not an intellectual thing. It doesn't mean he sits there and convinces you there isn't. You probably know there is an eternity. You know all these things, but it's not real. It's not real. And in this real world that you live, he causes you to hear things, to see things. And even the very things that could bring you to realization could be opposite if he's successful to put a doubt in your mind. A person must get past the step. You must stop once in your life and you must clarify to yourself and realize there is two parts to me. One of them stays here. One of them is forever. And I am here to build me. Me is the invisible part of me. And all of my life is a preparation for the eternity of my life. There's so much I have to do for myself and my family to build myself as a great person so that eternity could be higher and greater. He puts enough people in your life that don't think and you listen to what they say and you have doubt. That's all. Okay, have a good day.